0: That's ljsinnercircle.com, or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I really wish I would just improve faster? Like, I just wish my musical skills would improve faster. I want to become a better jazz improviser. It seems to be going so slow. I can't make progress the way I want to. Well, I've personally felt that a lot of times. I've felt like, man, I wish I could improve faster with my skills. Things aren't going fast enough, What a lot of this comes down to though is how we actually practice. And we know that because I talk about this all the time on the podcast, how we practice is way more important than the little tricks, the little tools, music theory, any of that. But also a big part of practicing is mindset. And if we understand our brain better We can hack our way to really reduce the amount of time that it takes for us to improve in our musical skills. And that's why I have on the show today a psychologist as well as a professional musician, Rodney Brim, on the show to give us his four big tips for setting up your practice sessions for success, understanding your brain so that you can get better faster. Let's do this. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host... He's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. What's up? What's up, everybody? Brent here from LearnJazzstandards.com, which is a blog, podcast, and videos all geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. Listen, I'm here to serve you today. I'm here to help you become a better jazz musician, jazz improviser. And no matter where you're at on your journey right now, there is something that you can learn from this podcast. And I guarantee you, on today's episode, where we do have a special guest. Special guest actually who is a listener of this show. And it's really cool when listeners of the show uh, reach out to me and they say, hey, Brent, guess what? I have something really valuable to share with the audience as well. I'm an expert in this arena. In episode 91, we had Joe Agu, who was talking about understanding African music and the origins of jazz. And then also in episode 138, we had Christian Sineter, who's a listener of the podcast, talk about Alexander Technique. And now today... I'm welcoming on the show Rodney Brim, who's a psychologist. He's going to talk to us about how we can think and how we can train our brain in the practice room so that we can get better results faster. And this isn't just some marketing talking point. This is real stuff from an actual psychologist who absolutely lays down a ton of value today. You're going to want to stick to the very end of this episode. You can learn more about Rodney at his website, rodneybrim.banzoogle.com. To learn more about him. Also, all the, the all the links that he talks about, books, resources, you can find the show notes today at learnjazzstandards.com forward slash episode 159. We talk about a lot of great stuff today, particularly his four main tips, his four main tips for brain hacking for speeding up your jazz improv success. All right, without further ado, let's get on Rodney Brim. All right, I'm excited to welcome on the show today. We have a psychologist and a professional musician. This is Rodney Brim. Rodney, thanks for being
1: here on the show. Brent, great to be here. I'm looking forward to the conversation.
0: Really excited. Uh, I really enjoy when listeners of the show reach out to me and say, "Hey, Brent, I have something valuable to offer to everybody. I know something, and I love that because uh, I like having guests on my show in general to teach things that I don't know or to think you know, to have a different uh, perspective on something. And I think it's even better when it's actually someone who's listening. So that's so cool, Rodney. Thank you so much for reaching out. Um, I like to always start by just getting everybody to know you a little bit better. So why don't we just start out with who you are, what you do, and maybe a little bit about your musical background, how you got into all that.
1: Yeah, fantastic. I was thinking in terms of relating to people who are listening today... um, I started out um, taking piano when I was five. My mom was a piano teacher, you know, I sort of did that sort of stuff, got into band as a, uh, at 10 and, and, and fell in love with the trombone, played that, played through college, got to play with some great people. Um, I had one of those kind of monumental pivot points in, in my music career at, at probably 20. I uh, got to play with Benny Goodman and mm. was working out front with him and got a nice compliment from him. And it changed for me. I, I, um, I looked at that experience and I thought I didn't see a great future for me as a musician in terms of I was afraid I'd turn into a high school music teacher and be screen- teaching a band forever in a day and playing the same fight song year after year in the football field. Or I'd be end up gigging and I thought I'd be on the road all the time and here's Benny and he's still on the road gigging with me and he's in his 60s and he's doing this. Um, and so not that that was bad, but just that it, those weren't the career choices I want. So I, I made a pivot and went ahead and got a PhD in psychology and I actually did my dissertation on music and proved that music gets underneath everyone's skin unlike any other stimulus that we experience so it was a great study i had a lot of fun with the research went on to be a clinical psychologist kind of put the music on a background and played casual gigs, in different bands and stuff like that throughout the years. And Over the last 40 years, been a psychologist, consultant, kind of had an opportunity to work all over the world. And I'm back at this point in sort of a comeback player uh, where I play multiple instruments and play local gigs, playing mostly in jazz flavor.
0: That's awesome. Um, tell me a little bit about, you said something that kind of stood out to me, that music gets underneath people's skin more than any other stimulus. Can you explain what you mean by that?
1: Yeah. Everyone's character structure or personality structure is such that they respond to some things that you can almost rate people as either high responders. They get, you'll notice them; they're very uh, effervescent or very emotional about stuff. Things oh. seem to impact them emotionally very strongly, and other people are sort of uh, very cool, kind of maybe aloof, or nothing seems to phase them, if, if you describe that. What's interesting is that you'll get all sorts of emotional stimuli coming in. You get high responders, low responders. When music comes in, everyone responds. And I was able to prove using biofeedback and other sorts of sensory stuff that no one can defend against music it gets underneath everyone's skin.
0: Wow, that's phenomenal! That's really fantastic. Um, I feel like I can just relate to what you're saying just by by by, by experience that that yeah. is indeed indeed true. Uh, so you are a psychologist. Uh, if there's anything that I know about music is that it is intensely psychological, especially, by the way, if we're talking about the genre of jazz, which is based on improvisation, which is based on putting yourself out there, which is based on being vulnerable, which is based on having uh, a level of of playing that sometimes can seem a little uh, daunting at times, although I always argue on this show and other things, it doesn't have to be. But we know it's intensely psych- psychological. And so we have a psychologist on the show today, you, to help us walk through some things. What is What do you really want everybody listening to get out of this conversation that we have today?
1: Um, well, you just introduced one of the points I'd like people to get. And that is, so how do you manage that psychological aspect of improvising and playing jazz? And, and that involves some things I'd like to share about how the brain works best. So it's really play and practice in a brain-friendly way. It's absolutely it will improve your game. Part of that also is your self-talk. So what are you doing? You know, how you, how you, what are you thinking and saying to yourself? Uh, and then I really wanted to talk a little bit about using your left versus your right side of your brain. Um, I, I would guarantee that most of your listeners don't use the right side of the brain well enough, and it's actually fundamental in terms of having success at improvisation.
0: Interesting. Well, let's jump right into this. Uh, I know that you have those several talking points you want to talk about. Where do you want to start to to talk about? We're, we're talking about getting our brain in the right place for optimal practice. What's kind of this first uh, this first stepping point that we can start talking about today?
1: Yeah. that's If, if you took one thing away, you would want, want to understand about the brain. The brain learns best when it's having fun. Our brain, my brain, your brain, everyone listening's brain. So if you Set up your practice or your your learning experience, your learning curve in a way that's arduous and not fun. It, you don't help your brain learn quickly. And so, stuff is going to come slower. You're just going to learn slower. And you're going to be more frustrated. You're going to experience a lot of frustration in practice. Inevitably… In, hits our sort of threshold of competency. So it's always kind of flirting with the sense of being frustrated versus excited about what we're doing. So some things listeners can do is to really realize, okay, my brain needs to have fun for me to actually accelerate at this and and excel at playing jazz and particularly at improvising. So how do I make it fun? Yeah. And there's some really easy things to to do about making fun. So one of it is is simply keep it fun. And so one of the ways I, I make practicing fun is I use fun backing tracks like your backing tracks. Why? Because it's a lot more fun to play against a backing track than simply play scales against nothing. Um, choose backing tracks of songs you like. Why? Because it, it, the brain likes that, so it's fun. Ah, listen to people that you enjoy listening to and kind of replay what they play. Why? Because the brain likes what they're doing with their sound. So anything you can in, sort of a, address where the brain enjoys doing it and you could put that into your practice, you're going to accelerate your learning curve. Here's something else. If you th- could talk about your self-talk, the way you think about things as you listen, and you could take your self-talk out of you and put it as an instructor and sort of embody it sort of separate from you. Would that instructor be pretty affirming or mostly notice things you screwed up on or, or slow to give compliments and go, oh, good grief, you still didn't hit those high notes? or you're Are, are you still going to play A sharp? You know, it's like… Your self-talk is really critical for having fun as well. So, watch yourself talk and, and in fact, ch- change your self-talk or shape that so that you get more positives in than negatives. Because once the curves, in fact, for me, I'm a person that needs about three positives for every negative to learn well. I need, So, I need lots of recognition and I'm willing to uh, go to the moon and back if I just get enough recognition. So, for all of us when we're practicing, it's sort of the same sort of stuff. Would you start paying attention to the things you're doing right? And recognize those because the brain will have more fun. You'll have more fun.
0: Okay. I want to, I want to touch on that a little further. I want to get into how we can have better self talk. Uh, really quickly, I want to go back a little bit further to something that you said was pick jazz standards or material you want to learn that you like, that you enjoy. Learn jazz solos or learn whatever you want that you actually like. And this is something that I, I frequently actually tell my students in my courses because, uh, sometimes people ask me, well, Brent, which jazz standards should I learn in, in this course? And the answer is the ones that you really like, because I think about all the tunes that I've ever learned and I've learned a lot of Mm -hmm. tunes and how many of those do I actually remember? Well, a lot of those tunes I learned because someone forced me to, because I Mm -hmm. had to, I didn't really connect with them. And guess how many of those I know now? I don't know very many of them now of the ones that were forced upon me. So that totally resonates. I love this. Now, as far as that self-talk, you mentioned a few things here. But I feel like this is easier said than done, right? This is some cognitive skills that we have to engage in. Uh, how do we start reprogramming our mind? Because I have a feeling that a lot of our, a lot of our self-talk, a lot of our inner instructors, as you alluded to there, are really mean, horrible, nasty teachers. So how do we
1: turn that around? <laughs> um- Starting with being mindful of it, so it, it becomes – it moves from an unconscious or just a sort of habit that I do and I just sort of growl at myself when I miss a note or don't quite get the inflection correct to beginning to pay attention to that. And so, as I stop making it unconscious, I make it conscious and at a point that's conscious, then I can do something about it. So, then I can start saying, okay – So, Rodney, as you're playing this next one, I want you to notice at least three times you hit a note where the intonation is perfect and you really like the resonance. And so I just start coaching myself as to what things I want to pay attention to. And if I I don't or if I've struggled to recognize that, and we'll talk a little bit about this future, but recording is just another great way to record yourself, listen back, and then force yourself to listen for things that you really enjoyed about you. That you And notice those and make your brain start paying attention, noticing things, even if it's one note in a phrase that I really like that particular G well. I hit that one just right and it was really, it fit in the groove.
0: I, I absolutely love that. And doesn't that just turn things on its head? Because normally when we listen back to things, normally when we're playing, the first place we want to go, and from my personal experience, is, well, that's what went wrong. That's what went wrong because that needs to get better and that needs to get fixed and it's not good enough. And that's such a different way of thinking, a way of thinking. I love that. A way of thinking of like, no, first, what actually went right? That's amazing. And you know, one thing that I uh, always ask my 30 Steps to Better Jazz playing students about is I tell them to post their big win, uh, something that went really well in the practice room during their particular session. And I see just a whole ton of comments of people saying these positive things that have happened and man... What a game changer when people are focusing on that, so this is man, this is value packed stuff, Rodney. Thank you so much. so yeah. it sounds to me okay, the first life if we're going to start brain hacking our way to better practicing to learning more, becoming better jazz improvisers, we need to be having fun, so that sounds like that sounds like big tip number one: our brains learn best when we're having fun um yeah. what's what's next where do we where do we go from here?
1: actually, we sort of touched on that with recordings. So let me go there next yes. so um. The cerebrium is is basically in, in the back of your brain, and it controls a lot of your unconscious movement. So uh, I'm not a guitar player, but if I play brass and woodwinds and keyboard. But particularly in brass and woodwinds, if if you think about all the things your mouth does to shape the tone um, and the subtle changes it makes to go from G to A, for instance, up to B natural, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, how much did your tongue move? You have no idea how all those. It's sort of like this… Cerebrum part of your brain knows, and it's paying attention, and it makes those subtle adjustments, and it's starting to build patterns so that every time it moves a certain way, you get a G out as you're playing. So all this goes on, and, and, and it's a part of your brain that actually does well with practice and feedback. Um, and I should really say this: repetition and feedback. So so part of what happens, in, if you want to help, again, you sort of learn and to improvise it and get a good sound that you enjoy. Because when I'm improvising, I'm looking for a sound that actually moves me more than makes technical sense. Um, does, hopefully that makes that, sense. Yeah, that in makes fact, a lot of sense. That's what moves the audience as well. The audience doesn't really care how fast I play for the most part, but they do care if I play in a way that actually moves me and moves them. And, and that connects. So here's how do we help the cerebrium get more effective. And and probably most people sort of learn this but didn't understand this when they were first playing. But often instructors will have you play long notes. Why are you playing long notes?
0: Because
1: hmm. the cerebrium needs time to process as it's making different movements in your mouth, in your tongue, in the way you control your breath, is guitar play with your fingers or whatever, but it, it needs repetition to start building patterns for saying, okay, so when you come back to that note, I'm going to know exactly all the different 1,001 modifications to make in the vocal chamber, in your throat, in your breath, all that sort of stuff. So I need the pattern over again, and with long tones in particular, especially for brass and woodwind players, where your resonance in your tone get, and the, your ability to incorporate overtones gives lots of color to the tone and makes for a really great sound. That all needs time. The cerebrum needs time to hear the resonance and make subtle, subtle, subtle adjustments to that. If you just blast through your notes, cerebrum doesn't hear enough feedback to be able to pick that up, to start building on that. And so one of the things that happens with this is playing long enough. I'm, one of the things I do just to focus my, to help that part of my brain go on uh, Franklin's Prince and Son brass instruments is I'll stuff a, a practice mute in that basically emits no sound but al- allows me to feel the resonance in the horn. So as I'm playing, I'm just, my brain's just getting feedback on how much the horn is vibrating hmm. as I play because I want that vibration in the horn because that's going to give resonance to sound. The other thing that helps us here a lot and I, I feel like most people don't it's a gold mine, Most people don't use it. Is record yourself. Record yourself all the time. Yeah. Listen back. Play it. Record. Why? Because the brain needs time to go, oh, okay. And you'll notice if you'll just play it and then re- record and record and play and rinse and repeat, it's like your brain picks up, okay, I understand how to do that articulation. Ooh, I want to change. And it's able to make adjustments that if you just blast through stuff and then move on to next, your brain doesn't get the, the time. And in fact… If you've ever played a gig where you thought, wow, I, I sounded really good, and then you go back and record, and you go, ooh, ooh it didn't sound as mm-hmm. much as I um,
0: well, Or why? vice versa, that, right? Sometimes yeah. it's vice versa.
1: <laughs> but that recording process is something that the brain really needs to hear back, because when we're in the moment, we don't quite hear ourselves the same way. Right. And the brain doesn't have a chance to, to change or make responses. Does right. that help?
0: That, that 100% helps. Yeah. Um, the I I do see this feedback as as well when I give uh, assignments to students to say all right record yourself doing this assignment and post it and I find yeah a, a big comment is I get is is people they do the assignment the first time and then realize oh I I, I need I didn't quite have that there oh let's do it again yeah. and and then that also deals with that repetition now let me let me um ask so you're talking about lawn tones does this connect as well with practicing slowly? Like if you are pra- you start by practicing slowly? Or is this along the same lines as what you're talking about?
1: It is. If you think about all the muscle movements on your hand when you're playing down the fret on a guitar, it's like Okay, move that two millimeters. What? You know, you're not even conscious of that. Well, part of your brain's conscious because your fingers are moving. So, we're talking to that cerebrum part of your brain again. And again, we want to build good patterns. So, you can either build sloppy patterns or good patterns. The brain wants to build a pattern. It's going to try and craft, okay, what did Brent just do on the neck so I can repeat it again? So, if you play it slower and correctly, you're going to build the pattern you want to build on versus playing fast and it's kind of half there you just build a pattern that's sloppy.
0: Right. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people like our our initial reaction is I want to play this fast. I want to play this up to speed and mm-hmm. that can be just a, a fail right there, just a, the wrong way to start. So now you're also talking about like feeling that vibration from a particular mute you put in your horn. Um, explain to me a little bit further why that that is that's helping your cerebrum
1: it's, it's another sensory input that your brain can use. So the, again, the brain wants input. So like uh, if I'm standing in, in my studio and I play a G on my trombone or flugelhorn, um, I have one sense. I get some auditory input through my ears based on the acoustics of the room and stuff like that. So I can adjust it and, and my brain will start adjusting kind of what I'm doing with my mouth and my throat and my breath and my chops uh, as I'm playing. But it's a little bit of frequency and that changes a lot. But I give myself another whole route into this, or brain feedback by just sensing resonance on the horn.
0: Um, so it's exercising one of your sensory items inputs to fit, that so, to, so that you're like, "Oh, that feels like this when I do this." Mm-hmm. That's the repetition. It really
1: amplifies it. that sensory input. Oh, um, let's see. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I got a uh, I got a new flugelhorn. I, I got a wood uh, from Interbitten in. in uh, in Switzerland and it was fascinating about the horn beyond the sound was when I would play it, the whole horn would resonate. I could feel literally, I could feel the vibration of the horn, the way they built the horn. And uh, the, again, m- I want any sensory input that's additional that I can help my brain sort of get, yeah, that's the way to, that's the way to move your chips, your chops. That's the way to move your mouth to get that kind of resonance in that color in the horn. That's then I know I'm hitting it. Wow.
0: Fantastic. Okay. Great, 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 great. So now uh, speaking of senses, um, le- I know this is one of your talking points. Let's talk a little bit the auditory versus the visual side of learning. Um, can you speak a little bit more to that? Because I know we were kind of going with those senses just now. So I think that's a great next point to to start working on.
1: Um, it was interesting. I uh, I I remember a few years ago. So. I should say, when I, when I started as a psychologist, I was doing a lot of therapy, but I also ended mm-hmm. up consulting at Rancho Las Amigos Hospital on the brain injury board. So I got really involved in how the brain functions and particularly how to help people recover from brain injuries, car accidents, all sorts of other sorts of stuff. And uh, throughout the years, uh, up even till this um, last project I was working on, we were reinventing how people learn for refugees coming into Europe mm-hmm. and using virtual reality and mobile apps and um, and articulating a different way, people could quickly pick up language and, um, and, and sort of cultural rules and if you are coming from Syria, for instance, and trying to sort of assimilate into the culture in Germany. And part of what emerged out of that was the, there's a huge part of the brain that's really focused on vision. And up to 30% of all your sort of, if you think about your brain as sort of a large computer, part of the, all that processing power, 30% of it at least, is devoted just to vision. Mm. So we we see things, we understand what we see, we, we see notes on a page, that comes really a lot more quickly than hearing. And, uh, and in fact, hearing has sort of the neural mechanisms of about 3% of the brain, so it's really one-tenth You've got the neurons that are available to sort of assimilate into hearing versus vision. So suddenly it's like, wow, it's really a lot easier just to see stuff and kind of learn stuff by what I see. So I, I don't really learn to improvise, but I can play the notes in a jazz chart. Ah, got it. But if there's no notes, I don't have vision. So now I don't know what to do. Yeah. This, and- this
0: sounds like the, the big challenge I hear from everybody, <laughs> especially classical musicians that yes, are trying to yeah. start to learn how to improvise. They're like, wow, I could play any note on, uh, on a page. It doesn't matter what it is, how difficult it is. But when it comes to improvising, I feel like I'm jumping off
1: a cliff. So, this kind of, I want to talk about then, how do you develop the ear, which has already less sort of mechanisms in the brain to develop. It can still be developed. Uh, and in fact, some people have it hugely developed, but how how does one do that? And my mom was a, a classical um, flute player playing in orchestra and stuff like that. And it was fascinating trying to get her to play jazz. And... Um, And because the phrasing was wrong, and it was you know (laughs) that whole dotted eights never—it was always straight eights for her and stuff like it was just—it was a different language, right? So like when you think about sort of learning a different language, um, and by the way, I got involved in this in Europe a lot because uh, all the words and the ways you frame words in German are so different than if you come from Afghanistan that um, it's like oh it, it can't just print the characters by the way their their characters are different than than our characters and the German characters. So the characters are different. So visually you couldn't even get there. So auditorily you had to be able to hear it. You had to hear the sounds and a very different sound. So what happens in terms of playing jazz is we teach and it's kind of one of my beefs with wait people learn jazz or struggle with learning jazz, is that it's it's all very visual. So I here's the here's the C scale. Oh Okay, here's a minor scale. Okay, so I see that as well. So it's all all seeing, right? Da 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 So I, here's the note, here's the staff, here's here's what, here's that note above the staff, you know, recognizing, so it's all visual stuff. And then I get, if I'm a young aspiring player, uh, so I'm reading through this chart, and suddenly I see G minor 7th and a C7, and it's like, oh, what am I supposed to play over that?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Here's where the ear comes in, and especially if I don't hear anything. And so I'm trying to listen for what's in my head. I don't hear it, so just play something. So then what happens is, is that we typically fall if if nothing besides being embarrassed and anxious and and sweating as you see that part of the chart coming up and you know that you're up next and it's like oh good grief what am i going to do how i learn and i see a lot of people teaching jazz is they teach a very left brain so it's left brain tends to learn things very sort of linear Uh, easiest way i could frame that is is our left brain is how we learn multiplication tables So, we all need to learn our multiplication tables, and we could do it by flashcards, and and we need to learn three by five, and what is nine times nine to be able to do any kind of basic stuff in math. And the same thing in jazz, we all need to learn sort of what the basic scales are and what the first and third and fifth and seven is. But that won't allow you to create sort of a creative piece it'll just it'll provide just sort of a structure over here It'd be like painting by numbers and you'll be easily able to see kind of a painting done that way and you'll see certain players play and you can tell they're really playing off their left brain because they move up and down scales um yes in, in, a, in a way that feels kind of routinized if i could say it that way or whatever it's um it's very structured, and it's like, okay. And and if you listen to them, you, you can hear them doing kind of the same approach. So how do you get the ear involved in the right brain? So here's the fun thing about that. The ear really can be developed partly just by practicing what you can hear so you think about if what you're going to develop a library of things you can hear one of the ways to do it and and mike lake really helped me with this in his in, his, in our initial collaborative work was simply saying what if you had to play in your horn or on your instrument um simple tunes that you already know in your head so you can hear them you know, like happy birthday yeah. or when the saints go marching in and so just beginning to develop the ability to hear something in your brain and then play it on your instrument because when we start out, those aren't connected. Almost anyone can whistle happy birthday, but that doesn't mean they could play it on their instrument. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean they could play it on an instrument, multiple keys. Oof, even more of a challenge. So we have this challenge that the brain needs to be able to hear stuff and then be able to reproduce it on, on your instrument of choice in real time. Yes. And that,
0: yep. Go ahead. 100%. I, man, this makes so much sense to me. Um, When I talk about learning, when I talk about learning licks or anything like that, I always talk about learning in all 12 keys. Well, first of all, not learning it off a piece of sheet music, hearing it first and internalizing that. I love also, uh, what you're talking about is just tunes that we all know that you should that you maybe know that that are pop songs you grew up with being able to actually connect i call that connecting your ear to your instrument and Mm -hmm. because there's one thing to obviously develop some of those fundamentals of ear training which are in my opinion important um but there's also this other side of creating that connection i think that's a fantastic way where melodic dictation is another thing that i like to uh, teach others to do as well does that does that all sound like that's along the lines of of what you're you're preaching here
1: uh, more than along the lines. just right in the right in the pocket. By the way, there's some interesting things you can do which we don't typically set up in recording that'll help with that. So, um, instead of taking a song like All Things You Are, which moves through all sorts of chord changes and keys very rapidly, actually to help your ear develop, you're better off to take a, a, a single a chord or whatever. Stay with that. Listen to it as you're playing it. And if you've got a mic, whistle a Whistle a line or sing a line, then try and play that same line. It's that sort of that repetition actually help your ear develop a lot quicker than playing rapidly through a series of chord changes. It's interesting. So uh, that simple: can you sing it? Then can you play it? Is a really good connection that helps the ear develop in the brain. Yeah, um, and you can use it over and over again. And being able to practice it, um, so. Because what will happen is, is especially when this is just beginning developing for improvisation, is you'll you'll start playing and you, you kind of hear a line. And by the time you sort of get it out, you, you get about three quarters of the notes uh, as you hear them. But then some note uh, also kicks in. You kind of lose consciousness of what that line was. Then the chord changes. Whoops, now you're adjusting to the next one. It's all too fast for the brain to actually do it. So you want to slow that whole thing down and just sort of... Repeat, repeat the ability to hear a chord background, be able to sing a line, hear a line, be able to play that same line you hear and just help the brain make that loop. So that becomes just more immediate and facile.
0: Which goes back to what you're talking about, the cerebrum and that repetition. So, okay. So what I'm hearing from this section here, it's way easier to visualize things and see things that way our brain works. and. But really, uh, I think you said only three percent is hearing. So so, auditory, auditory. So we're we're at a disadvantage here already when it comes to jazz improvisation, because really, to become a great jazz improviser or any kind of improviser, really. It's all about hearing, and that's why it is a little bit of a barrier for some. Um, but we also need to have those left-brained those left mm-hmm. brain skills, the visual side, being able to read music, being able to understand scales. All this stuff is great, but then there's that hearing side. So uh, we need to work on those hearing skills, and especially the act of... Of reproducing what we're already able to hear on our instruments. Did I did I get that right, or did I miss something? You got it,
1: perfect. Oh, yep. thank
0: you. Awesome. I'm I'm listening. I'm listening. Okay, this is so far, Ronnie. This is just absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for just laying down all this value for for me and the audience here. Um, where do we go next here? What's what's
1: the next tip? I was thinking, what questions let if since we bounced through so much um, come to mind of anything we talked about because.
0: Well, I would love to talk a little bit more about like the left brain versus right brain sort of learning, um, sort of this more analytical side. I guess we were talking about a little bit with theory, right? Theory scales, what notes do you play over a G7 chord, right? Uh, but then how, where does the right brain come into play?
1: So here's the interesting thing in your development of the right brain, um,
0: well, actually, first, can we talk about what is the left brain and what is the right brain? Like, because we hear that, but what, okay. does, that, what does that
1: really mean? That's really splitting. A uh, splitting your your brain is actually split up top, so you have a left and a right hemisphere in your brain, and has all your uh, primary functioning. and And it's split in the middle with a corpus callosum, which is sort of a connection between the two, so the two are connected. Um, but that they have uh, both overlapping functions, but they have some distinct functions as well. Um, and so the the right brain tends to learn things by association. Let me give you a language one, for instance, so you understand. So, let's say I'm coming from uh, Iran and I'm I've escaped and I'm an immigrant and I am moved to Germany and I, I want to uh, sort of assimilate there. And as I'm walking down the street, I see a, a cute girl I'd like to say hello to, and I'm a, I'm a 25 year old guy and 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 a long ways away from home. My left brain says, oh, how do I say hello? Hmm. And so the left brain is going to construct it by, "Ooh, quick, where's my dictionary? I'm going to look alphabetically down for hello here. And it says, oh, it's, it's a G word. Okay, it's – this is a very linear approach, right? I'm going to put the characters together, try and sound it out and stuff like that. If you happen along at the same time and you and you said, Rodney, just say guten tag. Ah, I'll, that's pretty easy. I got that auditorily. The brain learns it because it's easy to learn because I want to say that and that girl's cute and that whole attachment and something that would be fun to do makes it quick and I learned guten tag in one second. And by the way, I'll be able to say it to the next cute girl as well and I'll be able to use it in all sorts of places, right? And so, wow, what a different way of learning, right? That's right brain learning. Right brain is attachment. I put things together based on connections, so I'm always building connections and I Once I get a connection I can build on it and so I I, I can I can move it all sorts of ways. So it's a very different way from learning from versus here, spell out Guten Tag, sound it out, what does that sound like? Remember to use Guten Tag in, in this situation, very linear.
0: So when it comes to improvisation, would the left brain be very much so along the lines of kind of the example I gave before? In a G, how do you, what notes can you play over a G7 chord? Well, one example is you could play the Mixolydian mode. Well, that's very linear thinking. That's very, right. you know, here are these choices. There's a lot of limitations to thinking that way, by the way. But is that, is that along the left brain side?
1: It is. In fact, I, I uh, studied under a trombone player initially as a kid, and uh, it, he was a great player, but it was, it was funny listening to him improvise because he always started out on the fifth. Hmm. Every time he would start an ad-lib solo, whatever the key was, he would start on the fifth of the first chord. Okay. And he would camp there. And then he would kind of start from there. So it was his safe place. So literally, didn't really matter what he, he might have been feeling in response to the song. He, he would approach it with, what's a safe note? You know, one, three, or five, or seven, that sort of stuff. That'd be very left brain. Got to know it. Because it keeps you playing in the key. Right brain might be saying, what do you feel at this moment? How would you like to express that? Uh, or what if I play in the wrong key? Well, I'm, I'm trying to feel it, but it's in the wrong key. It doesn't come out right. So I really need the left and the right brain both coordinated or functioning when I'm playing
0: jazz. You, is there one that is more important in your opinion or the one that should take more prevalence? Or should they be both equally involved?
1: I, I think you need to work more on the right side of your brain. To be really comfortable at jazz, but you need both. And how, and, how would and, you
0: how would you do that? How would you work more on like how like just kind of what you described? What you were thinking there was you know what do I want to express? Like how how do you actually practice
1: that? One of the things I was just describing is this. Could you take a single phrase, whether it's a a one chord phrase or a two, five, one phrase or whatever, and begin to force yourself to say, well, how would I sing this? Sing a line over, whistle a line over? Yeah. That that sort of stuff. Why do I say whistle or or sing? Because that doesn't require any technical skills with your instrument. You can just use your voice or whatever to begin hearing a line. Yeah. Um, I also find listening to people that you enjoy listening to grab a line that they do. Uh, and, and so that it, your brain enjoys and so you can kind of memorize that so you begin to put that into your library of things I know I can hear in my head and then play those over chord changes. That, again, helps develop that sort of whole perspective.
0: What what I like about like everything that we're talking about is I can also see how the different ones play together. Um, for example, we started out talking about our brains learn best when we're having fun that's something that you were just touching on there. We then talked about uh, working with your cerebrum and the need for time and repetition. Like that was, you would just descri- describe that right there. Auditory versus visual, working on the ear training, the hearing, the singing part, the things that you can actually hear, that's there. And then we're talking about working hard on that right brain. Yes, we need the left brain, but that right brain, I mean, everything seems to work together um like amazingly and you've given some amazing examples today of of how to actually work through these things um but it's also super great just to sort of have this outlined like these uh, if you don't mind i, w- I want to call them brain hacks like these little hacks sure. that that are just it, like if we were paying attention to all these things um man we're going to learn so much faster um so yeah. thanks for this is there anything is there any other p- big points that you want to make about this today
1: I think the final thing I would say which I don't know that it goes left or right brain it's just you as the person but it's back to the psychology of it all is when I'm improvising I'm trying to play I want to play something that moves me mm. and so ultimately that's also uh, help I feel like a helpful feedback when I'm listening to myself as well I'm listening for notes that move me and uh, that's a real sort of difference I think for people which are moving away from did I play the right notes exactly or did I play this phrase in the exact way but it's more like, oh, could you focus on what kind of moves your heart as you hear that? Ooh, does that capture certain feeling? I want that ooh feeling inside. And that's that's what the improvisation for me is driving towards. Does that make sense?
0: That that makes one hundred percent sense. And I think that I was a guest on someone else's podcast recently, and I was talking a little bit about these musical moments that keep us coming back. That you know, music can really beat us up a lot. And you've been a therapist, so maybe you you can you probably understand a lot about uh, you understand a lot about people dealing with the, the, the negative self talk and all this. I mean, music can beat us up. I mean, we have high moments, we are very low moments. Um, but the things that keep making us come back are these musical moments that transcend the possibilities of what we thought was possible. When you interlock with a group of musicians at a gig or maybe even a jam session and something magical happens, so something more than like your actual, what you thought you were capable of or what you thought music that you could create for other people is capable of breaks through. And those are those, those cloud nine moments that just really stand out. And that really is, for that to happen, you need to be able to focusing on that, expressing yourself, mm-hmm. how to make a moment that moves you actually happen not how to hit every single chord perfectly so it sounds like you're playing perfect bebop not how to uh you know play wailing fast over cherokee at 300 bpm N- none of that is really that important right it's playing stuff that moves you so uh i completely resonate yeah. with that um that uh, was back on oh where what episode oh no i'm not forgetting the episode number uh, i had i had a student on for one of my courses uh to And one thing he was struggling with, we had a little coaching call on the podcast. One thing he was struggling with was you know, trying to play by the rules, trying to make sure he was playing all the chord tones, trying to make sure he was doing this. We did a little exercise on the podcast where I had him play, quote unquote, free. And by that mean it not, not avant-garde, just simply trying to play without restrictions, without chords, just try to create melodies that you were hearing, hearing mm-hmm. and, and allow for something to happen that maybe you would consider to be a wrong note. But then go ahead and try to make something musical from that and just letting yourself dream and explore. Um, yeah, that just sounds like it's so perfect. So,
1: yeah. That, that's a big space to give yourself, isn't it? It's absolutely great space. By the way, I, I don't know if you experienced this as well, but when you're in that moment where that sort of magical moment, uh, there's a sense in which you're, the sounds you're doing are actually connecting with your emotions. So, you're not just playing something, you're actually feeling something, which is the cool thing about jazz, I think. And what I also notice is, is that in that flow, time gets suspended. So, I experience time differently. I, I notice when, I've, when I'm in that flow, especially for a long period of time, I, I lose sense of time. I'm just in the moment. Mm-hmm. And which, again, is capturing that sort of whole brain. And, and emotions are all tied into the brain as well. But when those are all connected, wow, that's, that's special.
0: 100%. And for those of you by the way that that episode is was referring to was uh, episode 14042 creating melodic jazz solos in the art of not thinking coaching call for my students. And so I just uh w- w- Rodney, where where can people learn more about you? Uh, what what would you like to put I know you ha- you have a book that you've uh, collaborated on. Could you
1: talk a little bit about that? I collaborate with Mike Lake on a book called the Brain Friendly Method for Musical Instrument Excellent and actually, I'd worked with him on an earlier book also on on trombone improvisation uh, he's a he's a great resource to look up. His name is Mike Lake and his website is alto trombone dot com um, He's an alto trombone player. Um, you can find me on linkedin and and um, and I'll post uh, my website for you here as well coming up i'm I'm over on bandzookle.com or rodneybrim.bandzookle.com. Awesome.
0: We're, we're going to have all of those in the show notes this uh, today, so you can go ahead and uh, and find all of us the show notes. We'll have the link to uh, the book and his LinkedIn and everything. Cool. Well, Rodney, thank you so much for being on the show. This was awesome. I learned a lot. I'm a better person for having known you now, uh, and I know that my audience is too. I, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, just sharing what you know. I have a feeling that we're going to check in with each other some sometime down the line and have you on again. Cool. So thanks. Thanks for Sounds being on. Sounds good, Brad. Thank you. Hey, that was fantastic, wasn't it? I mean, that was just a lot of great information. Big thanks to Rodney Brim for just laying down a lot of great information for all of us. I know I learned a lot today uh from him and i was just thinking about those four main points that he went through and if we actually start applying those in our daily practice or weekly practice whenever it is you practice that we can really start getting some serious results so i want you to take action i want you to start thinking about those things how you can start applying it because obviously those who take action they're the ones who get results and those who just think about it well they don't really get the results so make sure you take action on today's episode As I always ask, hey, if you really enjoyed this episode today, if you enjoyed this show in general, give back, really simple free way to do that is simply by going to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a positive or dare I say a five-star rating and review. Just helps other people know that the show is worth listening to and that it's helpful and um, that they should be listening to it too. So thank you so much in advance for taking the time to do that. Make sure, of course, you are subscribed so you don't miss any shows. Make sure you're signed up for the newsletter so you don't miss anything that goes out on Learn Jazz Standards. That's LearnJazzstandards.com forward slash newsletter. I'm looking forward to seeing you back next week on the Learn Jazz Standards Podcast. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzstandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at learnjazzstandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask.